Hello, and welcome to Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm your host, Rob Pickles, here with Coach Connor. Both athletes and coaches have questions surrounding the development of AI training software. Athletes want to know if they can trust the recommendations, and coaches want to know if they're going to have a job. AI training software is no longer a hypothetical. It's here to stay. So the question we need to ask is not whether it's a good idea, but how we're going to respond to it. Joining us on the show is renowned physiologist and owner of Athletica.ai, Dr. Paul Larson. As a physiologist, Dr. Larson has been fascinated by the potential of AI training software and has even started working with Dr. Steven Seiler to explore its potentials and research. He'll talk with us today about both the exciting and dangerous ways the software could change training. We'll ask up front whether we have opened a Pandora's box, and we'll also talk directly about a coach's place in a world with AI training software. Joining Dr. Larson, we'll also hear from professional cyclists Keel Reinen, Alex Howes, and Robin Carpenter. We also hear from renowned bike fitters Dr. Andy Pruitt and Dr. Larry Meyer. Professional cyclist, coach, and podcaster Sonia Looney also gives us valuable input. So it's time to log into ChatGPT and ask it how we can make you faster. For nearly two years, Fast Talk Laboratories has brought you the craft of coaching with Joe Friel, the ultimate resource to become a better, more successful, and happier coach. We've bundled some of the most popular pieces of content from all 14 craft of coaching modules to reshare in what we're calling the craft of coaching with Joe Friel Coaches Picks, which includes a star-powered panel of featured experts like Dr. Stacey Sims, Dr. Andy Kirkland, Jim Miller, Victoria Brumfield, and Jim Rupford. This incredible library will provide a lasting legacy and guiding life for endurance coaches for many years to come. Check out The Craft of Coaching with Joe Friel, Coach's Choice, at FastTalkLabs.com. Well, Dr. Wellerson, welcome back to the show. Pleasure to have you. I think my levels are high because Rob's head just shot back when I said that. <laughs> I'm going to turn down the bass here, Skid Row. And... <laughs> so how are you doing on this fine fall day and how is weather up in British Columbia? Oh, I'm doing well. The weather is, it's caning down with rain. Seven degrees, six, seven degrees in rain. You know how that is for riding. So um, it's, as a triathlete, I'm, I'm moving indoors a little bit. So doing a bit more, more swimming and sauna, which I'm, I'm enjoying. So yeah, that's, uh, I'm doing pretty good though. Thanks, man. I, I remember that weather in British Columbia really well. You got there at the beginning of October and then it was rain and cold. Yeah, that's six to 10 degrees. Fortunately, yeah. we live in Colorado now, and that means we have to remember that weather because we never get weather like yeah, that. Yeah, I actually here. think it's going to hit 80 today here, <laughs> it's right? It's 79, but it's snowing next week, so we have that going for us. <laughs> Holy cow. That's incredible. We like our yeah. drastic changes. It just changes in an instant, does it? I, I talk to people all over who are like, oh, you wouldn't believe how much the weather changes here, and I'm like, come to Colorado. Huh. Yeah, I know everybody says that. I do kind of remember one time where I think it was close to 80 during the day and then this cold front moved in and you could just feel the temperature drop out from underneath you and it was like snowing that night. So we hit last year in Denver the worldwide record for the biggest temperature drop. It yeah. went, so in Fahrenheit, it went from 80 degrees Fahrenheit to negative 17 in a day. That's right. That's amazing. So we got that going for us. Great place to live, let me tell you. <laughs> I love where you guys live. Like, honestly, like, there's no, no better place to go and do a training camp, honestly. so It's a lot of fun. Yeah. But we're not talking about weather today, gentlemen. Maybe we should do an episode on weather. But today, let's talk about something a little more futuristic. 
All right. Well, so Dr. Larson, you are here to talk with us about something you've got very involved in, which is artificial intelligence training software, AI software. And I'm going to start just kind of setting some context here. We don't want to have that standard conversation of this is kind of hypothetical. What could it do? All that sort of stuff. I really want to just just start out by saying it is here. There are a lot of companies now that are developing AI training software. It's here to stay. And I know there's a lot of fear associated with this. We hear this from coaches. But the thing that we're going to bring up is it is here. This isn't a question of can we avoid this? This is much more a question of how are you going to respond to this? So this is like the back when it was horse and buggies and the car was invented. Cars were, were here to stay. You had to respond. You had to figure out how, how you were going to adapt or you were going to get left behind. And I think that's what we're seeing with, with AI training software. But Dr. Larson, what's your thoughts on this? Oh, my, th- my thoughts are exactly that too. So a little bit of my history is, is I was working with High Performance Sport New Zealand. And my job was really to kind of make a difference in the program, in, in the New Zealand Olympic program. And one of the things was putting monitoring systems in place. And again, for, for context, you have to remember that this was when training peaks was like, you know, just kind of emerging more on the scene and not all coaches wanted to use training peaks, right? They would much rather use pen and paper. The coach you were talking about, you know, sort of before, it was just everything was sort of in the head and, and go with this. And now we're, we're coming in with this monitoring system, you know, putting sensors in place. And that was a, that was a really big shift to actually get your head around doing that. And it wasn't easy, and there was a lot of resistance. And uh, I think we're sort of in, in that same sort of level that I kind of reflect on there when, when I was trying to put training peaks and, and monitoring systems like, like Garmin and Polar and stuff on, on athletes and, and getting coaches to buy into the value of it. So I think, yeah, same, same sort of time as well. But just like back then, I mean, look, look where we are now. Like, it's not a big deal to think about monitoring yourself using Training Peaks and all the intelligent tools that are on that, that program. You know, we'll put Training Peaks out there. It's the gold standard, right? So even before the software was here, we started with uh, really the book, the science and application of high-intensity interval training, you know, and really looking at the bulk of research in terms of training science that we believed in when we wrote that, that book with my colleague Martin Bescheid. And then, again, the, the, the story is that, secondly, we wanted to teach that in a course. But then, thirdly, we said, we, again, at the same time that, that AI and intelligence was, was kind of emerging and, and just becoming, to me, very evident that, that, that we would get to today eventually and that it would become a, a tool to use alongside that. We said we have to have a, an app or a software piece as well that's harnessing the principles that we believe in ultimately it comes down to the the answer the same question that we that we try to solve within the book and course what session do i do today and that's what we try to do with the technology as well we make sure we're trying to answer that that key human question or coach question what training session do i do today and that's kind of where where it evolved but to your point rob it, it started with the human first and the, the fundamental principles of science that we learn through the research. Before we dive deeper into this topic, let's hear from two ex-pros, Alex Howes and Kiel Reisnan, with some of their reservations that are fairly common among pros and athletes. 
honestly, I, I think that some of this new AI stuff, I mean, it has a lot of potential. And personally, it was something we were, we were pushing a couple of companies to do a number of years ago. That, I mean, it seems easy, right, to look at the weather and either, you know, you put in X workout when it's rainy and you put in Y workout when it's not. Or, oh, it's super hot, so downregulate the power numbers by 10%. Like it's, a lot of that stuff seems simple and things are just finally catching up. So I, I mean, I, I think there's a there's a place for it. Do I think it replaces like personalized coaching for some people? For most, probably not. There's a lot of subtleties to cycling. Like if you're just trying to get an extra five watts on your threshold, AI is probably going to get you there. Uh, if you're trying to get a line across the finish line first, like, yeah, good luck. I would think about it like you know CTL. Is CTL a, a useful, valuable number that we like to reference a lot? Sure, but it doesn't account for sleep deprivation from kids, international travel, home stress. It doesn't account for you getting sick. It doesn't account for, you know, like there's all these things that it, it doesn't understand that a coach does. So I, I think Alex is right. Like it can be a really effective tool for the the minutia, you know, like the, the really small details, like, oh, I'm going up to 9,000 feet tomorrow. You know, let's change my numbers by X percent. It can just do that without someone having to go in and make the calculations. That's really nifty. But it doesn't understand the stress on your body when you sleep up there. So you need both things. That was something I was going to bring up at the, the start of this. We've now had about six or seven companies that are developing AI training software reach out to us to come on the show. And Rob and I actually avoided this for a while because we still don't know where we stand on the software. We're still unclear on where it is going and wanted to have a better understanding of that before we did an episode on it. The reason we chose you is for exactly those reasons. And so our audience knows you have developed a software package. It's athletica.ai. But you are a, a researcher. You have been involved in the science of exercise physiology for years. You've been at the forefront of a lot of the key debates. And we know that you are taking this from an athlete-focused perspective. You're taking this from a scientist perspective. As a matter of fact, uh, I think we're going to talk about this a little later you've been using your, your software with Dr. Seiler to do some actual research. That's right, yeah. So I'm really fortunate that, again, your, your colleague, and he's on Fast Talk all the time, Dr. Seiler, he is actually leading the charge with a conglomerate of universities and tech commercial partners alongside a, a large grant application in Europe to really build PhD scholarships that take the emerging tech, the emerging sensors, and make understanding of those, continue to build research around it, and to continue to prepare tomorrow's sports scientists and coach um, to, you know, to, because this, this world is in front of us. And uh, we don't want students and coaches to become redundant through this. We want them understanding, contributing to, and building their own ability to service athletes. Because again, I believe, I don't, I don't think that things should change at the coalface, but our service can become better. So yes, Stephen's on, to your point, Stephen's on board with this. He, you know, again, just kind of like me, he sees, he sees where it's going. We'd rather be in it than, than outside of it, I think. Good. So let's dive into this. And really what we're going to try to do through this podcast is, is get at two questions. One is, 
how is this going to reshape training? And important differentiation there, as I said, this isn't will it reshape training. I think we're going into this with the, the belief that it is going to reshape. So how is it going to reshape? And then the second thing we're going to talk about is what are the positives and then what are the dangers and, and what are the fears? But let's start with, I think, a very important question, which is let's define what artificial intelligence training software is. How would you define that? Yeah, I, I had to research this question. I, and you know, I had a good chat as well with my, my head uh, AI guru, Andrea Zignoli at Athletica. And basically, at the, I, I checked out with GPT, actually. So first of all, let, let's define intelligence first. So when we just look to intelligence, it's the ability to, defined as the ability to acquire, to understand, to apply, and adapt knowledge to solve problems to reason, to learn from experience, to exhibit creativity and adaptability in various situations. So it's pretty, pretty long-winded, but this is, you know, think about human intelligence first. That's its definition. And then artificial intelligence is then the development of computer systems that can perform tasks that typically require that human intelligence that I just described, that we all possess. So things like problem solving, things like learning, things like understanding natural language, recognizing patterns, making decisions, and then adapting to new situations. So it's leveraging those human capacities uh, at the computer sort of level. And then there's different branches of AI, like machine learning and neural networks, but we won't get into that, but that's the definition. So we can kind of maybe start there. So I have to admit, when you said you asked ChatGPT to define AI intelligence software, I'm like, this is where we find out if ChatGPT has a personality. Yeah, if its, it's answer is like, yeah, oh, it's good looking, everybody loves it. You're like, <laughs> okay, it's got an ego. <laughs> I love the irony that you went to ChatGPT to define artificial intelligence or intelligence. Because also, as we were prepping for this episode, I went to ChatGPT <laughs> and asked it, this is, this is the input, write a cyclocross workout with the influence from Paul Larson. And it spit back, Paul Larson is renowned for his contributions to high-intensity interval training, and it goes on. So I want to I know from you, how do you feel about this workout? Start with 20 minutes of easy pedaling to increase your core temperature and prepare your muscles. Incorporate a few short bursts of speed for 5 to 10 seconds to activate your fast-twitch muscle fibers. Main set. Micro intervals, three sets of eight by 20 second full gas efforts with 10 seconds rest. Rest for four minutes between sets. And then there's some running dismounts, you know, workout it has. And then 15 to 20 minutes of easy spinning. Is that a Paul Larson? Did ChatGPT crack the Paul Larson code? It did. Ah. That's 100%. That's an Athletica workout. <laughs> there you go. So you go. You can just use ChatGPT. You know, but I do think that it's interesting, right? Because ultimately this question that Trevor asked is, what is AI? And, you know, we talk about something like ChatGPT and people in the know love to say that, hey, this is a large language model. It knows absolutely nothing about doing workouts, right? And so that's different from what Athletica is doing because there is an understanding of the athlete and and the changes that are occurring, the adaptations. You know, ChatGPT is a large language model, which means all it's doing is putting combinations of words together that makes sense based on everything that it's learned and been trained on in the past, 
right? But I think that when we're talking about these training softwares, we are doing something a heck of a lot more sophisticated than what ChatGPT is able to do because ChatGPT doesn't really know if this is a workout or not. It read it somewhere and associated it with Paul Larson and was able to kind of pull it out of its memory bank and spit it back out to me, not necessarily reasoning or making adaptations or changes. Well, totally. And it doesn't know actually what you go and do at the end of the day, right? Like even with that description that you described, there's there's a hundred different ways you could actually do that. So, you know, the next step is to actually, you know, put a sensor of some sort on you to actually see what you what you actually go and do. But it's a good, it, it certainly can form a good starting place and we can sort of start to begin to see the advantages of, of this. And it's why both of us to prepare for this this interview, it's very interesting that we both have, are already leveraging this artificial intelligence. I did not go to ChatGPT, and now I'm worried that if I plug in, build a road cycling training plan based on Trevor Connor, it's just going to answer, don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> just don't. I, I do want to throw in one important thing here. And we did an episode with Alan Cousins. I believe it was episode 256. We'll put it in the show notes where we talked about this. But it's it's really important to understand there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, we've got this AI software that to me doesn't really meet the true definition of AI software, where, meaning they've created a software package where they just put a whole lot of information into it, a whole lot of if-and statements, and it looks like it's coming up with very novel stuff, but really it's only capable of an output using what it's already been given, what it's already been told. And sorry, that was a horrible way to explain it. To me, AI software has to be able to think. It has to be able to do novel thinking, where it will take a whole bunch of data, but it is able to draw its own conclusions. It's able to give you information that wasn't something that somebody already put into it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, so garbage in, garbage out, right? Gigo is the term that everyone uses, and it's absolutely right. And again, back to Alan Cousins who I highly rate, and we've, we've chatted offline about this area, and we feel that, you know, I shouldn't speak for him, but it, you know, it, it really needs to be led by domain experts, and it, and it isn't necessarily. This is why I think both Alan and I have kind of gone into it a lot more, is because you can't just throw this AI at anything without some, you know, fundamental domain expertise and backing. And again, that's why we went through the process of building a book and and course and getting coaching experience first from our end. And I dare say whatever Alan is building, I would I'd probably rate that a, as, as being effective as well because, you know, there'd be that foundation of coaching and science that would be behind it. And what he's doing, and maybe there's a better way to, to explain what I didn't explain well there, is he's using neural networks. So the, the difference here, the example that it's given in a lot of the places I've read about this is trying to get a, a computer to recognize photos of cats. So what I was getting at with some of this AI software that isn't true AI software is they just put in hundreds of thousands of pictures of cats. And if you, then you show this software, another picture of a cat and that picture is already in the software. It's going to say, yes, that's a cat, but it's not actually thinking. It just has a lot of data in it where these neural networks, what you actually do is feed in a lot of pictures. You actually don't tell it what is a cat. And then it has to learn for itself and start figuring out which pictures are a cat, which pictures aren't. And it does that by making a lot of mistakes. It then gets corrected and it keeps learning and figures out for itself how to identify what is a cat. And that's novel thinking. An animal that wants to murder you in your sleep. The definition <laughs> of a cat. not a cat lover, are you? <laughs> no. So 
let me get to the big question that I think a lot of people have. I'm going to start with, I was actually listening to a show this weekend where they were talking about AI software as this kind of Pandora's box and pointed out a lot of the CEOs of these big AI software companies signed a statement saying that there is a real danger to AI software. We have to be really careful. And when they were asked, well, if you think this is a danger, if you're worried about this, why are you developing it? And they all gave the same answer, which is, well, if we don't do it, somebody else will. And their belief was maybe we'll do it a little more ethically than those other people would. But there's kind of this recognition that we've opened a Pandora's box. And I get with things like chat GPT that that's a, that's a real question. But in AI training software, have we likewise opened a Pandora's box here? It's certainly possible. The big um, elephant in the room is is really Training Peaks because they are the you know the leaders in our field that house the majority, I would think, of the data, or maybe even Garmin, you know, one of these two companies, because they could you know just, I'm just sort of thinking back to you know what you were sort of describing with the neural networks, right? You need large, big data sets. So that's not the way we've gone about things at Athletica, and I don't think Alan really could go about that way either because. We don't have the massive, you know, data sizes that those those are required. We've taken more the the domain expert approach, where this is what, you know, this is what best practice is. This is what coaches would do in this context. These sorts of things, and, and I think we know. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about this later, but there are, there is kind of dangers as well. I think we've we certainly heard about these sorts of things, you know, from uh, vote rigging to, um, you know, creepy kind of, uh, you know, sales tactics, you know, when uh, your speaker or whatnot is, is potentially listening to you and all of a sudden see a, an ad that you've been, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, sort of seen. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know where it's kind of all going with that, but that's, that's not what we're doing, um, as, as I kind of mentioned to you before. We're trying to answer our, our key why, right? And that's always been like, try to make a tool to help athletes and coaches answer that key question, what's the best training session that I do now? That's what excites me. So, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a, it's a crazy, crazy kind of area, isn't it? Yeah, I think that this, you know, Pandora's box question, it opens up a lot of questions about ultimately what could go wrong. But the one I want to focus on, I think, is is the biggest question, and that is the appropriateness of the recommendations that's given. And what's interesting to me is we constantly on this show talk about individual responses, individual variation. You can give two people the same workout and they're going to adapt, perform, recover, everything differently. But Dr. Larson, I think that what you're saying right now, and, and I totally agree, is when we discuss artificial intelligence and the training thereof, a very large data set of gazillions of individuals, right? Now it feels like we're talking about a group mean and group changes to workouts. For me, I, I wonder how do we rectify and is there a mismatch between working with an individual like a coach can do versus, you know, artificial intelligence having to be trained by this massive amount of, of data? And does that help the individual ultimately? Yeah, again, we get yet to sort of see, I, I don't see, it, it certainly isn't working today. And I don't think anyone would um, use that. If, if you're getting all of a sudden a recommendation, it's based on big data. 
Maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it'll go through sort of a beta phase when some of these larger companies we spoke about. But that issue that you mentioned with load and load response is so, so vital. That's really what we've been working on for, for ages. And our, our, our training logic, we use like the, the banister fitness and fatigue modeling profile that you'll see on your own training peaks if you go to the performance management. Like that's basically if you want to look at, you know, how it's kind of operating. We have a version of that that's working. And then we're looking at that individual response to load thing as well. So maybe when the big data kind of context, you could, you know, imagine if you had uh, thousands of individuals and you met sort of an individual profile that matched one of those profiles, maybe it would pull its recommendation from that based on its own machine learning neural network kind of process. But yeah, we're not, we're not there. We're not doing that. It's, that's all possible, I guess. It's funny, you know, I think that you take Garmin and, and Whoop and all of these other companies right now with, with wearable technology and they all are giving recommendations and I'm not necessarily saying that it's exactly what we're talking about today because I don't think that they're driven by AI. But I will say, inevitably, it always recommends that I do the opposite of whatever I'm planning on doing, which either means it's terrible at its job or I'm terrible at my job. I'm not quite sure which right now, but I'm banking on myself. I'm not going to lie. As you know, you should never coach yourself. Well, maybe you're going to figure true. out how to do what you want to do <laughs> as opposed to what you should do. So... I was going to ask two questions and you've already answered one. And that one was, where do you think it's going? And your answer was, don't know. But let me ask you a, a slightly different question. Think five years down the road, AI training software is now much more established. Where would you like to see it go? Ideally, what's the role it would play? How would we be using it? Well, the, the data is really clear. The, the research is really clear is that we work best when we're working alongside it. So that's going to be the, the secret sauce is that is going to be coaches that, you know, know how to use the tools that are, that are put in front of them, right? And that's why we have a coaching platform as well as an athlete platform. We have, you know, because we know that that's, that's critical, right? So it's not hard to find the research that shows that. Athletes still want the human touch, of course. Uh, there are athletes that, that will be, you know, will be self-coached. But the majority still want that human touch. And they want the, the coach to know that they can leverage those tools. So that's, I, I think that's where I want to see things is I still want, I just want more coaches to adopt uh, alongside these, these tools that are being, being put out there, seeing the value of it, saying, oh, wow, I didn't know I could, it could analyze that for me. And that, re- that changes the, the game in terms of the prescription that I'm going to make today for sure. And yeah, that's where I hope it kind of goes. I think, you know, you guys did an excellent uh, post on your craft for coaching. Joel Friel just sort of said, said as, not, uh, as much, right? So, you know, Training Peaks founder, and, you know, he sees it. So you just kind of got to move with the times, really, at the end, at the end of the day. And I hope that, and I, and I know that I think, I think that's probably eventually where we, where we will go. Coaches will come to the party eventually. It's a little slow right now and there's going to be natural resistance, but that's with every new innovation that happens and comes on the scene. Let's hear from Dr. Andy Pruitt and Larry Myers who express some of the resistance, but also show why it may be important for coaches to be involved. For me, it's a bad thing that AI doesn't know me, although they swear it can get to know me. I want to be able to talk to a guy, gal that I can relate to 
and who feels my pain on a regular basis. So I grew up uh, in a small town uh, on a farm, and I listened to my dad uh, BS with other farmers all day long. And I was so bored to tears, um, but I didn't realize that I was learning a ton, which was I was learning how to communicate with people. And I always wanted to be an expert. And I, I think I'm an expert, but the reality is, just like Andy, it's your ability to communicate with your clients. And so forever, I will say that, you know, this technology is, it's okay. But you always, always, always need to have someone that you're engaging with who knows you and uh, can turn you around if they need to. Human interaction is so important. There, there, there is proof now that personal relationships are more important as we age than diet and exercise. Yep. Personal relationships, friendships are more important than, than diet and exercise as we age. So, man, I, I, if I had to rely on uh, Rob's computer to make me yeah. feel warm and fuzzy, I'm in trouble. You know, in, in our, our community, the cycling community, which is huge, right? I'm not a racer, but I'm in the cycling community. Oh, yeah. I know a ton of people in the cycling community, and I, and I love it. It's so important for us. And we have tragedies happen, and we have amazing wins and amazing triumphs in, in, our, in our community. We need that. And that's not something that AI can do for us. Listeners, this is a great time of year to expand your training knowledge. Join Fast Talk Laboratories now for the best knowledge base of training science on topics like polarized training, intervals, data analysis, sports nutrition, physiology, and more. Join Fast Talk Labs today and push your thinking and your training to all new heights. See more at fasttalklabs.com slash join. So let me hit you with a, another question, because this is one I've been asked a couple times now, including on that, that module for craft of coaching. It was my opinion of how is this going to impact training? I'm going to give you the answer that I've been giving and, and then really want to hear your response and see where we go with this conversation. But the, the answer I give people is to say, look at Zwift. Zwift has become very, very popular. Zwift has racing and it's now become its own legitimate form of racing. Like there are people that just raced on Zwift. There's a lot of prize money for some of these Zwift races. It is a legitimate form of racing. But here's the thing that I find really interesting about Zwift. As much as they have tried to mimic actual racing, and they've gotten it really close. I'm actually pretty impressed at what they've done. It's not the same. Drafting is not quite the same. The big difference is you can get boxed in out in the road. Mm -hmm. On Zwift, you just ride through the person. Yeah, you do. You, you can't box somebody in. And these little differences, you ask anybody who does a lot of Zwift racing, they will tell you it leads to a need for very different assets and the strategy is very different. So you don't train the same to be a good Zwift racer as you would train the same to be a, a good road cyclist out on the actual road. And this isn't a statement of which is better, which is worse. It's just different. And the response I give people when they ask me about what is the impact of AI's training software is it is going to come up with different training plans. It's not going to be exactly the same as what a human would do. I'm not going to make a statement of whether that's better or worse. But I think just like Zwift racing is different from out on the road racing, I do think training plans and how you train using AI software is going to shift. And it might be 
very small differences that lead to big differences in your form, or it might be big differences, but I think it's going to fundamentally change how we train. What's your thoughts on that, Dr. Larson? Well, I have to admit, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a big Zwifter. I'm going to try and get into it a little bit more this winter, but my personal preference where I'm based is, is just to be outdoors because it's beautiful here. But I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, we're trying to increase our capacity to output power right? And uh, across the whole power profile. So that's our aim. It's one of the tools on Athletica is here you are, here's what you, your, your fingerprint looks like. And now can we, can we build it and make it better? So I, I don't, you know, I, I don't see that being that much different in a Zwift context as well. There must be still that the capacity to output power must be fundamental to success in that domain. But I, again, I don't have the experience. So Well, let me use an example using your software. Something that I think is is pretty novel for most athletes is, you know, the I tried this myself. You your software will pump out a training plan. You so you give it your your goals. So let's say my race target race is twelve weeks from now. It'll build a plan that, and I can look at the entire twelve weeks leading up to that race. But then you have this wizard, where on a particular day I can go in and go. You know what? I'm fatigued today and I tell it I'm fatigued and then it pumps out a different workout. Or I can say I'm short on time and say I only have 45 minutes and it'll pump out a different workout. It has this ability each day to change the workout that you're going to do. And that's not, you know, I'm sure some people work with coaches where they can call the coach every day and say, I don't like the workout you gave me, give me a different workout. And probably eventually the coach is going to fire them. (laughs) But Generally, the way people have trained is if they have a training plan, you have this on Tuesday, you have this on Wednesday, and you just do it. You're now given this ability to say, I actually want to pick my dinner a little more tonight. Well, that's right. And that's because, again, fundamental is that context over content, always. So we all have lives and, and, uh, which are crazy and, and busy and forever changing. You know, you're a little bit under the weather right now, Trevor, so you wouldn't be doing a, you know, a, standard, a standard workout right now, right? You'd need to have something else in front of you to really make you feel better and, and get you on the, on the road to back to where you want to go, right? Yeah, I, I went out for a run last night and, and I'm using the term run in quotes because I was doing 14-minute <laughs> <14 minute> miles. <laughs> exactly. I, I think kids were walking past me. <laughs> Exactly. So we recognize that very early on. You know, this has been a slow evolution. Again, been building this machine since 2015, and that was just really apparent. Is that people wanted wanted alternates, and that's really where the workout wizard kind of comes into play. And again, it's a cool machine learning tool because it's not a thousand different options. It's just like it's one or two for any given context, right? Because I don't think pe- people. If you give people a thousand different options, it's like, well, which one do I choose, right? So we give like a bit of a helper along the way in terms of which, which one you probably want to pick. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a cool innovation that people are pretty, pretty stoked on. And, and again, this is available for coaches and athletes on Athletica. Well, let me just throw a hypothetical idea, and this gets back to this is going to change how we train, and it might be slight, but it could have big impacts. So I'm not going to say I, I fully agree with what I'm about to state. I'm just going to make this statement. I want to hear your response. There is an argument that if you build out a training plan for somebody and they get to Tuesday, they have a hard interval workout there and they just go out and say, I have to do it. I don't feel like doing it. That that builds a certain toughness in athletes. And there are certainly coaches out there that are very big on 
go out and do the workout, stop whining, and it's going to make you more resilient. It's going to make you tougher because you can't show up to a race and say, I don't really want to do those hill climbs today. Let's change the race. So I could make the argument that, well, allowing that customization day to day could actually, I agree, have better physiological effects. Is there a mental component that you lose? Are we teaching athletes Hey, do what you feel every day. If you don't feel like going hard, don't go hard, and you lose some of that resilience. Well, maybe it's philosophical, but I mean, for me, I, I, I really believe in my own coaching, I work on trying to, to bring feel to the table for, for the athlete. I want to teach them to develop that themselves. I want them to, to know that they shouldn't do that 2010 workout that, that Rob found on ChatGPT, they shouldn't do that workout in Trevor's case um, yesterday when he, when he, you know, there's no way you were going to dive into that and do it, do it well. And if you did, you'd bin yourself even further in terms of healing yourself and getting yourself back. So I've always been not about the no pain, no gain. I'm, I'm more about yeah, the teaching uh, an athlete in terms of how they can develop that feel for, um, yeah, knowing, knowing the right session at the right time. Picking workout sessions isn't the only place where the software may need a coach to help. Let's hear from Sonia Looney talking about some of the other nuances where a human is still needed. I think it's beneficial in that it can be a sidecar approach to bring a lot of information concisely to somebody, but relying solely on AI without having a human component to it might be a problem. Because there's a lot of nuance involved whenever it comes to mental health, and a lot of it needs to be talked about more by the individual. And yeah, I think it's just there's a lot of nuance there that AI might miss, but I'm not an expert in AI, so I don't really know, but it's still very young and I think that there's a lot of gaps that would need to be filled by a human, at least right now. Trevor, I think that this brings up a concept that we have talked about throughout the multiple episodes that we've done on AI, and that is this technology is best used in conjunction with the coach, right? And that coach is able to assess the athlete and say, hey, you know what, you really do need to back down and this AI software is going to help me figure out what the best workout is. Or the coach can say, no, you're just being a little bit soft, like it's just allergy, who knows what it is, but they're making that decision. And I think that it's really important that we always consider this as this is a tool. It's not the only tool. My toolbox is filled with hammers and wrenches and everything else. And we can't just use a hammer on everything. And, you know, again, I, I do know that some athletes will utilize this themselves and maybe they fall into that trap because, well, they're just, you, like you said, you can't really coach yourself. You shouldn't coach yourself because you're going to make bad decisions. But a coach that's using this is able to use it as the tool that ultimately helps him coach his athlete better, him or her, their athlete better. Look, I was presenting that as a hypothetical. I will tell you, I'm more on the adjust every day. I mean, I still remember back when I was in school, in one of our textbooks, we read about the, the East German teams or their Olympic sports. Back when they were absolutely dominating, you had the athletes basically living at a center with physiologists. And every day, you know, athletes would get up and they would come and, and get checked by the physiologist. And the physiologist would say, here's what you're capable of doing today. And every day they, they would adjust the plan based on that. And that made them absolutely dominant. And there was a time when you basically had to be an Olympic athlete to have that sort of 
customization. Now I, I see this AI software making this available to everybody. Yeah, I mean, to put that into context, I, um, I think I can talk about this now because it's been many years. Um, I was at the Olympic Training Center for a long time doing biomechanics research, and we monitored rate of force development on all the Olympic weightlifters every week. And that led to the changes in their training for the following couple days. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that is that is exactly where this is going. You've got a physiologist, uh, you know, potentially, and a biomechanist as well, right? Like, look at a technology like Plantiga, which is an emerging um, foot sensor. Basically, you put your insole into, uh, which is a force plate, and you put that into um, into your shoes or your cycling pedals, right? And this is um, my colleague Matt Jordan who worked for the, um, and still does work for the Calgary base with the uh, Olympic Training Center there. This is his, what part, you know, his innovation. So that's coming. And just, just to Rob's point, like you will have a biomechanist and a physiologist on board with you on any given day to make those assessments. So yeah, back to your five-year question. That's where I hope things are, things are going. And this is the power, right, of AI is that as coaches, we can integrate more information than I think athletes can because of our expertise and, and because it's, it's the daily job. But I do believe that coaches still have to pick and choose what information they want to integrate into their decision making. There's a hundred different sensors or vitals that we could be monitoring, but we realistically can maybe utilize three or four of them to make decisions but something like AI might be able to pull in all 100 of those different signals and make some sense out of what just looks like noise to the rest of us. That's the biggest advantage right there. We just don't have the intelligence. One of the, one of the features back to the initial definition of intelligence is it's, it's, like, it's like RAM, right? Like it's your ability to process info. And we just can't keep up with the machines in terms of that processing capacity. And think about the overwhelm sometimes that you feel if you're looking at like a data set or whatever. Like, like it just takes too much time to go through that and pick out the important stuff. Well, we can leverage the machines to, you know, grab that, that data, make a very quick analysis and, uh, and pull out those red flags so it's right in front of you. And, and you know, once it, it's done enough, and you've developed the trust in the system to say, oh, this is getting, this is getting things 99 out of 100 times, then it's, now it's like, okay, this is a pretty solid tool, and this is really helpful kind of thing. So I, in this question of where is it going and how is it going to change training, I quickly wrote down what I thought were the positives and dangers. And, and I think you both are touching on this. So let me quickly give you my list, and then please respond to this. But the positives are exactly that. And we're going to talk more about this in a minute, but... It can process a ton of data and it can find things, find trends that humans potentially couldn't. That was what Alan Cousins was talking a lot about of it might look in places and find trends that we wouldn't even think to look for. Like it might very well look at what you're having for breakfast every morning and going, boy, whenever you have this for breakfast, you don't train as well. And that's something a coach would even think to, to look at. So that that's the positive. To me, the, the dangers are athletes becoming over-reliant on it and over-trusting it. Because as you said, there is that issue of garbage in, garbage out. And sometimes that AI software might come up with something really out there that you shouldn't be doing. The other danger for me is there are things that the AI software just won't ever understand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
Let's take a minute to hear Robin Carpenter talk about what happens when we ask ChatGPT to build a plan. Just keep in mind, AI software designed to build training plans is different. All the new AI training software, I actually, obviously I haven't used it because I'm a cheapskate and I'm self-coached and uh, just just hanging out here guessing in the dark, but it's actually something I really enjoy doing. But there was a, a little trend going around, I think a little, little while ago when ChatGPT first got released to the public of people asking it to write training plans for a cyclist. And some of the stuff it was coming up with was just hilarious, just bananas workouts where you're doing a threshold workout of 40 plus minutes at FTP five or six times a week. And yeah, you, you we kind of expect these things to get more powerful and learn over time. And they're fascinating from a, a technological point of view. But the idea of letting a computer put your body through the ringer um, in something that can really, your health can really be balanced on a knife's edge um, definitely seems uh, somewhat dicey to me. And Frankly, we just don't have the ability to quantify everything yet. We'd, we'd love to, right? We'd love to have, uh, and we're trying, right? There's all sorts of stuff where you input, input your, you're counting your sleep hours, it's counting your HRV, it's all these, these proxies for, for recovery. But in the end, there's nothing quite like the subjective qualities of a human mind. Throw this to both of you. What's your responses to those? And did I leave any positives or dangers out? Well, I think on the positive side, Trevor, I think that we're going to see an objectivity um, that comes from AI software like this. You know, to take your breakfast example, uh, I think that as athletes, we oftentimes do things to explain some data points away. Oh, my heart rate was a little high on the workout today, but that's because I had a burger for dinner last night. And oh gosh, my heart rate's always high when I eat burgers. Uh, maybe that's true. It's probably not true. It sounds like an excuse to me. And and it's able to pull with that larger data set. It might know every time you've eaten a burger, all the training that's happened, it has a hundred data points. And oh my God, look at that. Your heart rate really is higher. So I, I think that the objectivity is really important. What I will say though, on a danger side, my hope is that as we, and, and yes, I do think that there is going to be some false positives or just some, some poor decision-making based on uh, low-quality data. But my hope is that this is a pretty common danger that's cited, and the robustness of the software ought to be able to handle that such that the software should be able to recognize outlying data that is not correct and does not make decisions thereafter. And I know in the beginning that probably isn't able to happen, but one would hope as we talk about five years down the line that this is baked into and those mistakes aren't made, at least not very often. So, so for me, the big one, there's a couple things in terms of, you know, we're talking impact on training, right? And the positives and negatives. And what are the fundamental things, first of all, of training that we want to that we know lead to success. Well, one of them is training consistency, right? So this really gives us a potential tool to impact training consistency. And we just saw this recently with, um, we had one athlete using Athletica, she's used it. She's an ambassador, but she's used this thing for two years. And she, you would look at this athlete and you would think no way she's going to go to Kona or even do well there. Well, she did an 11 
09 Kona Ironman was 25th in her age category in the 44 to 49 category. And she followed our principles, all of the various different tools. And when we look back at her data, well, she trained every day, but like one, uh, you know, kind of keeping healthy and, and following kind of the guidance. So that is that is one thing that it can do. Number two, it can educate us as we go along. And this is, I've spoken with a colleague, you know, Oyvind Sandback, who's like, uh, you know, he's the editor of um, IJSPP. And one of, you know, one of his visions is that we're seeing this in the classroom, actually, where, you know, we learn best by doing. We can actually educate ourselves as we kind of go along in terms of the things that are important. So again, a, a hope for Athletica and, and maybe other platforms, but is to actually use this as a training tool and, and get these insights into our training as we kind of go along. And I'm seeing this as we're working towards implementing uh, GPT into Athletica. And we're really in the phase right now where we're refining the prompts and those sorts of things, um, because the prompts that you give it uh, make a difference in terms of the output. But it is indeed pulling out all of the data that we need and, and seeing the things that we can't and giving us that really quick insight into what's important, which frees up that mental space to do other things. So those are some of the, the, the positives that, that I see. And I guess, yeah, danger potentially, you know, again, to your point, becoming over-reliant on it. Because you gotta, you definitely gotta keep tabs on things. Because it's, you know, even as we're as we are right now with what I'm seeing in, in beta version with GPT, is it's not always perfect right now. It's gonna get better and better. So yeah, we you know, really have to be diligent at this point in the game earlier on. But yeah, it will get better and better, I believe. So the big question I have is is who in the future is going to be consoling the the AI software when it starts complaining? <laughs> Every day I bust my butt building the perfect workout for this person, and they never do the damn workout. <laughs> well, it, it can develop feelings, and when the athlete is upset because their performance wasn't very good, they can yell at the coach, and then the coach can yell at the software, and the software has to feel bad about it. There we go. <laughs> yeah. No, it's emotionless. Yeah, for sure. So we got a couple other things that we really wanted to cover here. And one of them we started to touch on and really interesting hearing your perspective on this. But it does feel like one of the, the biggest positives of this AI software is addressing a problem that we have created for ourselves, which is data overload. We have more and more sensors. We have more and more data. And we have gotten to that point where for a coach or an athlete, to go through all the data, even from a single workout and try to analyze all of it, they could spend hours. They could probably spend more time than they spent working out. And it seems this is something that the software can do really well. Yeah, no doubt. That is our key goal is to, you know, again, as these thousands of sensors are sort of out there, it's like, well, what's, what actually matters? You know, in the old, the old um, adage is, you know, to measure, measure what matters. Well, what does actually matter? We'll probably follow, a, follow experts to find out what matters. I think we've got the key ones right now that you probably, you know, if you're a coach listening to this, you're probably already using them in terms of the, the movement, the power, the, the movement speed. And then the, the heart rate is an internal mar- monitor. But then now there's, you know, all the Whoop devices and Aura rings and 
Yeah, it's totally overwhelming, right? When you you think, well, what what do I do, what do I look at as a coach, and what's the athlete expecting? And you you know you start to feel these panics and these sorts of things. Well, imagine if that panic could kind of you know be alleviated a little bit, and and you had a system that was kind of you know your assistant that was that was making a little bit of a snapshot on on all these sorts of things, and then. You know, if a red flag's raised, well, then you kind of, you know, oh, maybe we should pick up the phone with this athlete or whatever. So, um, yeah, data overload is is definitely one of the biggest ones. And then also with data overload is going to come data insight. You know, it's like I I, I do believe we're going to start to see things emerging that really weren't totally apparent before to us as coaches. And the the key example that that's forefront of mine is the concept of durability. I mean, you guys have probably spoken about durability before, but not everyone is, it's sort of the fourth you know, dimension and it, not everyone's kind of aware of dur- the importance of durability. And this is really like, you know, with endurance, the maintenance of your power, your speed relative to uh, physiological stress. A lot of the, the science is really sort of showing now the, you, you know, you need this. It's, it's really all about Fat burning and you know, lo- you know the longevity of your your fat oxidation into uh, you know, and probably there's other structural components, but getting more insight into that and again having that tool to say, you know, here you go your your aerobic decoupling's off the chart. You probably need to work on you know X in your training to to enhance that. So these are some of the exciting things I think. Uh, and again, back to that education tool. I think we're going to get educated by this as we go along, and um, yeah, coaching may change accordingly. So it's kind of it's exciting for me. So let's though look at a couple of the dangers. I'm interested in how you plan to respond to these. You brought up the garbage in, garbage out issue. What happens if it's bad data going in? And, and particularly because it'll kind of be a black box. You know, a coach can look at the recommendations from the software, but it doesn't know how those recommendations were were created what it was looking at and whether it was looking at all good data to, to come up with those recommendations. So it seems to me that's the, the danger of letting the software do all the data analysis. And, and how do you address that? Yeah, you're, it's just, it, this is the reality of the situation we're in right now. And maybe it'll always be that way, but it's getting better and better. And the classic example is, um, so as we go into the weather that we started out talking about, I'm swimming a lot more. Using my my Garmin to to capture my swimming, and I can't believe how far they've come across on the heart rate data from the wrist sensor. Like I'm, I, you know, I'm I'm actually like monitoring as I'm kind of going. It's like, oh, that's that actually seems pretty spot on. So they've done something to improve this in the last couple of years. Because two years ago, I would just I wouldn't even wouldn't even look at it. So sensor companies are getting better and better. The data will like the integrity of the data will improve as we kind of go forward. And it's because they're actually using machine learning uh, alongside that in the data processing portion before they, it actually comes back to the giving you kind of that output. This is again why we need, we need coaches on board to you know, really understand common sense and what these, you know, these numbers should read. And you know, coaches are the, responsible at the end of the day for their athletes. So they need to still sort of be over this um, to see when these errors occur. But you know, the, this is one of the things that's on our dev list as well is to be able to red flag data that doesn't make sense, right? Like 
heart rate shouldn't be through the roof at zone four when a person is just sort of starting their, their warm-up when they're you know, walking or jogging at zone two. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, again, another challenge for the companies that are, that are involved. But it's also an important responsibility for the coach to kind of look over and not become too over-reliant on the, on the system, I believe. Yeah, as you were both talking, I was sort of off in my own little world daydreaming as oftentimes happens. And, you know, Trevor, I think that you had brought up the concept that we might be discovering things that we didn't necessarily know because of this. And mm-hmm. my mind went to, oh man, yeah, it would be really interesting if we could pull like daily activity data off the whoop strap and understand how that plays into it beyond just the workout stuff that we're talking about. How does the daily data play into somebody's adaptation or recovery? But then also I began thinking, I don't wear my whoop strap all the time. Sometimes the battery dies. Sometimes uh, I just forget to put it on. And I wouldn't want the system to be confused by a day that had really low activity when ultimately it was really high activity. And then that led me, you know, Paul, exactly to what you said at the end there, that on your dev list, you have to develop this ability to flag data as being inconsistent or incorrect. And yeah, I was just thinking kind of by channel, like, hey, don't trust my whoop from this day because the battery died, I forgot to wear it, whatever it was. In the beginning, until the AI is able to discern that for itself, it's a way that us as humans and athletes and coaches can help the system flag data that really should not be taken into the equation. 100%. Something going back to, it might be able to flag things that a coach wouldn't see. I'm going to give you an example of myself. I'd be interested in how the software would respond to this. You were talking about the, the power relative to heart rate. And having to be able to say there's something wrong with this data because that heart rate isn't right for that power. But as you know, I've, I've got atrial fibrillation. When I go into AFib, my power and heart rate completely don't match up with one another. And what I'd be interested in knowing is whether the software would have the intelligence to say that's just bad data versus, hey, there's an issue going on here. Because I can tell you, I you know, tell everybody that I first saw it on a ride on my 50th birthday. But I did go back through older data and went, oh, there it is. It had happened before that. I just didn't know how to recognize it. Would the software be able to recognize something like that? I'm going to hop in here real quick because something that I'm always impressed with, Trevor, is that we use, uh, just so everybody knows, we use an AI software when we do transcripts of our episodes. And and it's called otter.ai. The first time a guest comes on the show we have to like click on name. It just says like speaker one. We click on the name. We say, hey, that's Trevor Connor. What's really amazing to me is that you could have had a guest from like the first 10 episodes of the show. The software is able to recognize that person. 300 shows later, it knows, boom. And it automatically says, oh, that was such and such. And my hope is, yeah, maybe in the beginning, it's not able to say, oh, Trevor's an AFib. But a coach or an athlete would be able to identify that that was AFib. And then the software knows and it's like, ooh, I recognize this. And it finds it in all of the other pieces of training. And then maybe we even get insight into this specific workout or warm-up or meal oftentimes leads to AFib in this athlete. It would just be amazing to see information like that. That's what I was getting at. I think that would be great. Because when I saw an AFib specialist, they told me, Usually you have it for a couple of years before you see it. Mm. And that's the question. Could the software see it way before you're aware of it? Well, it just depends. Like, what does the data look like when you have AFib? Is it, is it going, you know, up towards the 200s or is it, 
you know, what are you seeing in terms of a number? It's an interesting response because I have both AFib and atrial flutter and they go hand in hand. So what I will see when I go into AFib, yeah, you'll see my, my heart rate skyrocket. And, you know, I don't see it too often go up to 200, but it'll be up in the 170s, up in the 180s, and you just go, I shouldn't be that high. But what will happen pretty quickly is then it will go into atrial flutter where it just flatlines around 140, 145. So if I'm going really hard, I'm 145. If I stop pedaling, I'm 143. So there you go. I mean, if you develop a system, you know, machine learning system to uh, recognize the, those patterns that you've just described, then your, your system uh, red flags that. There you go. I was going to suggest, you know, using the, the Fourth Frontiers, which is a new heart rate monitor that actually does like um, live ECG. It's quite, quite amazing. But, you know, you wouldn't even need it in that context um, because if you develop the you know, if you recognize, if those patterns were kind of consistent and they were consistent across others, even your Garmin heart rate monitor could potentially pick it up for you with the right, the right system. 170s, that's child's play. <laughs> <laughs> Sit at 170 for a six-hour mountain bike race with my little bird heart. Okay, catch me at the right <laughs> moment, I could do that. For both beginners and veterans, polarized training is the best way to get fast and stay fast year after year. And this is the perfect time of year to be thinking about how polarized training can help you. In our new guide featuring Dr. Steven Seiler, explore fascinating and helpful topics like how polarized training is different from sweet spot, how to bust out of performance plateaus, how to polarize all season, how to build durability, and how to time your high intensity work. With this complete guide from Fast Talk Labs, you'll have everything you need to polarize your training like a pro and unlock your elite. Learn more at FastTalkLabs.com. What I'd like to finish out here, Dr. Larson, is talking a little bit about specifically what you're doing and what's going on with uh, Athletica.ai. So the first question I'll throw at you, you are using it to do some research with Dr. Seiler. Are you willing to tell us a little bit about what you're doing and, and what you're, you're hoping to accomplish? Yes, for sure, for sure. So lots of different projects are underway, uh, but the main one that, and we've even started a pilot version of this, uh, and the main one actually relates to the training load alongside the menstrual cycle in females. And this is in collaboration with Miracare, which is a fertility tracker. And we're getting our, so this is uh, one of the research projects that we're doing, but we're getting our our gals to, um, they pee on a stick every, every morning. And this Miracare device basically gives them the series of metabolites and HPA gonadal hormones that are telling us insight into the menstrual cycle. And yeah, just really, you know, that's, that in itself is quite fascinating. The, the real underlying question is, should a, a female athlete train to her cycle? And uh, it's really just a fishing experiment. It's very similar to what HRV was maybe back in the early days where, um, yeah, we're just, it's quite remarkable just how variable the, the menstrual cycle is. And then how training load, which is calculated by Athletica, is corresponding to these different phases of the cycle. 
Kudos to um, Philip Kojai, who's running the study, and uh, and all of the athletes that are that are part of that. And then we're going to continue that with um, with Stephen and Monica Truant, who's a professor at the same university with, that that Stephen Siler's at, and um, yeah, works with the IOC on the Reds sort of uh, area, relative energy deficiency syndrome, and um, yeah, that's just one of the research projects. But yeah, it's. Um, we're hoping to have you know many of these types of projects. Stephen might have talked about Timeware, which is a breathing device, basically measuring your um, your respiration with a, with a shirt, a Timeware shirt. So there be a, there'll be some studies going on with that. So um, respiration, in fact, is probably telling us something completely different than we thought it thought it was than than just your heart rate in terms of stressors. So that's another project, and on, on and on I'll kind of go. Like there'll be some with Plantiga and all these different sensors, uh, you know, um, Super Sapiens, so blood glucose, blood lactate in the future. But you kind of get it, right? Like there's all these sensors are kind of emerging, and yeah, we want to use use Athletica as also an R and D kind of platform to be able to grab meaning from all of these and bring back insight to the coach and athlete. So let's kind of round out. Tell us some of the exciting things that you're you're doing with Athletica.ai. And I think I want to start with because I read about this as I was reading about your software, bringing in these GPT features. So you're talking about actually having the software read the descriptions of the workout that the athlete put in there and look for the trends there, which to me was really exciting to hear because I always say I can get more out of the athlete's description of the workout than any of the charts. Yep. Exactly, exactly. And I couldn't agree more. That is the, the, the biggest insight is that I get to, Trevor, is like, what is an athlete actually saying in terms of their comments? So yeah, we, and we've got that section. So we've got both rating and perceived exertion marker on after you do a session, and we've got feel as well. We can rate a session as hard and it feels really good, but we can have a session that's hard and feels really bad. Well, those two sessions mean completely opposite things. And then corresponding comments as well. They really put the picture together and they bring the context in play for the coach. So yeah, that's we've got GPT assessing those variables in alignment with you know what was actually done from the device in terms of the power that was done for that workout and segments of that workout too, which is pretty cool. And then also the, um, the heart rate response as well, if, if available. And um, yeah, how it how it sort of corresponded, it's it's quite uh, quite remarkable. And then you know we can be as verbose or concise in terms of that that output back to the coach and athlete too. So I'm seeing these in beta, but yeah, by the probably by the time this this goes out, I'm I'm, see, I'm seeing this in pre pre beta, I should say. But the, by the time this goes out, it should be in beta fully, and then won't be too long till uh, we, we do some final fine-tuning and testing, and then that's available for, for coaches and athletes too, which is pretty cool and useful and, to us, pretty mind-blowing. So I've, I've, I haven't seen anything sort of like that out there yet. No, I haven't seen that. I'm really excited to see how that plays out. It'll be some growing pains, no doubt. We'll get some, we'll get some flack. It won't, you know, won't be 100%, uh, I'm sure. But again, with, with all these things, this is the fascinating thing is that every time you build this new little bit of software, this little part of it, once it's good, it stays. And then you find the next thing and you build that on top again. And it's just, it just, it's like a Lego sort of structure and it just keeps, you just keep building on top of it. And 
it's only average in the beginning, but slowly more work done and with passion as we all have on our team, it just actually becomes something. That's great. So going with your metaphor, which I like, what are some of the other exciting Lego pieces you've just added? Well, this one, and again, um, the inventor of this is uh, Andrea Zagnoli, and he reminds me that isn't AI per se. It's very mathematical, but it's, uh, we, I just, I'm finding it so useful, and it's, it's called our workout reserve. And basically, he's, he's taking the uh, maximal mean powers or maximal mean paces uh, right, of, of any given workout, and he is comparing those outputs to the last six weeks. And he does that sort of in a time course. It kind of runs the, the analogy I probably try to use at first is the battery analogy, or in terms of like, you know, how close are you to the, what you've done in the past? And we see this line kind of falling. And the closer the line falls from 100% down to zero, if it hits zero, you've hit like a personal best kind of thing, right? And it, this could be across any maximal mean power duration that's on the spectrum, right? Whether that's a five-hour Ironman or a 10-second sprint, right? We know what's been done in the last six weeks. And, and of course, uh, we show you that. And why is this important? Well, again, in the context of training consistency, you probably don't ever want to bin yourself on any one of those maximal mean powers or maximal mean speeds. Any of those could cause issues in terms of repeating again. So we're really finding this one of interest and value in the context of training consistency. It's like, okay, I've just, I've gone down to zero on this workout, that's great, but if you've ever gone like, you know, you get into this really, really dark place of like minus 50s and stuff, you know, you might get injured or sick uh, sort of shortly after. So we're finding it as a, a very useful tool in terms of just getting that regular signal right across anything that you might be working on. And that's shown in every single graph, you know, that you're, in terms of your session analysis, we're seeing that, that workout reserve. So that's pretty cool. That's not available anywhere else. We're creating a Garmin app for that as well that's going to come out. From a, a developer I actually met on your forum. So uh, thank you guys for, for that. So you've got some great, great individuals on that, on that forum. Lots of real, real intelligent bunch. So that's another one. The final one I'll mention is the, is the power profile. Again, we're really, really proud of our power profile. This is Peter Leo's work. And uh, Peter is just this uh, yeah, um, pro cycling tour coach. I'm working for the Australian uh, program right now, but he's, he's, a, he's a German. And it's really from his work, we consider sort of the gold standard in terms of his power profile. And that does have some machine learning in it, but it basically, whatever you do on your Garmin or your, any, any of your devices, we see that, uh, that power speed profile, which is on there with best practice. So, and we mentioned the workout wizard already, but yeah, and the, I guess the underlying key thing that, uh, and this is from Andrea, that he's most proud of is it's our under, underlying logic in terms of the recommendation for next session, for like, what's the next training load that I should have that's going to get me to to the event in the best, best shape. Again, go back to that Cindy example. It's, it's all about getting the most out of any individual. We did that with Cindy using this logic for the last two years. Yeah, that's what we're sort of most proud of. All right, well, I hate to say it, guys, but I think it's time that we wrap this up. So let's dive into our take-homes here. And Dr. Larson, we will start with you. All right, so my take-homes, I think we said it, it's here to stay. And it really is all about 
getting on board with it and learning how to leverage the tools that are in front of us. And those that do, I believe, are going to be probably, and again, I'm echoing Joel Friel's points on craft for coaching. So, I'm, you know, it's nothing new, but that is the key message. So coaches, yeah, I think they should probably, uh, you know, invest a little bit of brain power. And I guess finding out what's out there, understanding the tools that are, that are there and available for them, and running alongside of that, you're gonna be better off in the end. The second one probably is just the recognizing the, the gigo, the garbage in, garbage out is really important. And especially it's gonna be important in the earlier stages where you know, the sensor uh, data integrity probably isn't up to speed yet. So the underlying principle is that athletes want coaches that know how to use these tools Coaches, uh, you know, your job is not going away. That's, you know, athletes are going to stick with you, but they want coaches that can leverage the power that's within AI and that's going to make you a better coach. Rob? Yeah, Trevor. AI in training is inevitable. The integration of AI in athletic training, it's not hypothetical. It's a present and lasting change. So athletes, trainers, coaches, they need to adapt to this technology or risk becoming obsolete. The AI training software for my second one, it, it holds immense potential. It can offer insights beyond human cognition. It can process a lot of data. However, there are some dangers, right, where athletes can have over-reliance on the technology and the software's limitation in understanding nuances. And then my third one is, um, you know, handling data overload is something that AI is really going to be able to do. And it can be instrumental in managing that data overload from all the different sensors, helping coaches ultimately make better decisions. But the most important thing that I think you should know is that that answer was written by ChatGPT. And I just read it off my computer. <laughs> That's frightening. <laughs> Oh, dear. <laughs> what was your question? Did you say to chat JPD, give me my one minute take home? As Dr. Larson was talking, I, I wrote, what are three take home messages from this podcast outline? And I put the podcast outline in chat JPD. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I didn't read everything that it said. It, it wrote a lot more than the one minute take home. So I was trying to like scan and read, you know, the salient points there. I really don't think I can follow that up, but I still have to get my take home. So give, give the human pretty take crazy. home. It did, a, it did a pretty good job. All right. Yeah. Not, that, yeah. that, that was good. Okay. And frightening. <laughs> I really can't follow He's this done. up. He's done. Well, no, type something yeah. in a chat, JP too. No, no. So here's my take home, being totally frightened by that. What I found interesting in this episode was there was a big question that we really wanted to answer, which is, where is it going? And we spent 30 seconds on that question, which was just all three of us going, I don't know. Uh -huh. And I think that is what is important because there are real positives that can come out of this. There are real dangers. It can go in either direction, and that's the issue. We don't really know which direction it's going to go in. So my take home and what I got from this, because I've been avoidant of the software myself, is we, particularly as coaches, need to get involved. At the end of the day, people like you, Dr. Larson, who are developing this software, you are trying to sell a product. You want it to be something that your customers are interested in and they can use. So we have a choice as coaches. We can avoid it. And then who knows what direction it's going to go in. Or we can get involved and give the feedback and help shape it and make sure it goes in the direction that's going to help us. 
And I think that's my take home is I don't think we should be putting our heads in the sand. I think we should be getting involved. And I didn't read that chat. If you didn't come up with that for me. <laughs> or did it? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> I really appreciate that, that take home there as well, uh, Trevor. And I will just say, you know, if there are coaches out there, we do have a coaching platform and uh, would love it. You know, we, we also have a coaching course too. It's a free course that we give on how to use Athletica. So, you know, if this podcast did speak to you, please reach out to me directly. You can do that through the Athletica website and take our free course. The coaching platform is free as well. There's no charge for using it and reach out to me directly. And if you do want to get involved. Fantastic. Well, Dr. Larson, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Trevor. Thanks, Rob. Great seeing you. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. Tweet at us at Fast Talk Labs or join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com. Learn from our experts at fasttalklabs.com. For Dr. Paul Larson, Keel Reinen, Alex Howes, Dr. Andy Pruitt, Dr. Larry Meyer, Robin Carpenter, Sonia Looney, and Trevor Connor, I'm Rob Pickles. Thanks for listening.